Want to know why your interiors or images don't look like the ones you see on your favorite social media feeds? What if I said I could let you know and show you what's missing and how to transform your spaces with clarity and confidence? The truth is creating beautiful interiors is simple when you know the right strategies, but most people go about it the wrong way. This is why I created the Styling Masterclass. It's the only program that simplifies the art and science of styling, giving you the clarity and confidence to take your interiors to the next level and attract your dream customers or clients so you can make your creative dreams finally possible. This is for you if you're an interior designer or photographer, have an Airbnb, a homeware shop or e-commerce business, and you want your interiors to look like the ones you see in your favorite books, magazines or Instagram accounts. Come learn how to style using my signature method so you can elevate any interior and create compelling imagery, which is your most effective marketing tool if you're selling a product or service in the world of interiors. Any successful business owner knows that styling is your secret weapon to cut through the visual noise, stand out from the crowd and grow your business. Styling is something that you don't want to leave to chance. In today's world, images are everything. This is why leading interior designers and architects always use stylists to finesse their spaces for photography to make sure they've got incredible imagery that they can use for their socials and website. Come learn how to make styling not only an essential element, an easy way to create content for your socials and website, but learn how it can propel the growth of your creative business. If you're serious about creating beautiful interiors and a business you love without struggling in obscurity, this is the program for you. I'm going to share my process and give insights that you're not going to get anywhere else because I've been working as a professional interior stylist for the past 15 years. The Styling Masterclass will give you that clarity and confidence you need to take action and connect with your dream customer or client so you can make your creative dreams possible. Go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level to learn more and enroll now. Enrollments are open for only a short time. So please, if you're interested and you're ready to take your interiors to the next level, go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level. Welcome to Imprint with Natalie Walton, a podcast about creating a life you love, This is episode eight. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me today on Imprint. I've got a great conversation here today with Jodie Wilson. Some of you may know her from her blog and Instagram feed, Practicing Simplicity. She has recently spent the past couple of years traveling around Australia with her family in a caravan, sold off all of her possessions. And we talk about that experience as well as the process of letting go of things that she had to go through in the lead up to it. She's also an incredible photographer, a beautiful writer, and someone who I like to think of as a friend. We've met a few times over the years and we certainly have um, had many kind of online chats and if we were living a little closer, I'm sure that we would be in contact even more. She really is a calm and reassuring voice and a 
like-minded creative and I'm sure that you will enjoy this conversation. It is a little longer but I encourage you to listen all the way through because we have got some great things at the end too. Thanks so much for listening. Jodie, thank you so much for joining the Imprint podcast. As I mentioned a little earlier, we have met a few times and had a few chats. And also we kind of chat a bit on Instagram, which always sounds a bit strange to say that, but, you know, we've had little conversations, but I really love your story. And I wanted to bring this to the podcast because I think it will resonate. And I think you've also perhaps learned a lot of lessons in particular over the past year or so, which I want to hear more about. But first of all, I just wanted to start with your childhood and creativity. Was that a part of your life? Were you a creative child? I was in the sense that um, I was always writing and I had an amazing stationery collection. Um, I didn't create um, in the practical sense a lot of the time, but I, looking back, I, I did really appreciate um, nature and beautiful things. So I, I feel like, and I think my, my teenage bedroom was such a great example of, um, I was actually looking at a little Polaroid picture that I'd taken of my teenage bedroom um, a few weeks ago. And it's all I can describe it as is glorious clutter. Like there was just books everywhere and there were postcards that I'd found and stuck off on the wall and there was lots of pillows and it's, it's where I kind of, um, you know, I've, I've basically, uh, my parents still live in the same house that I grew up in. Um, we moved from England when I was two and a half and lived in that house and, and they're still there. So, um, it holds a lot of memories. Um, and that teenage room was, yeah, it was such a haven for me. And, um, you know, I, I was there through high school and, you know, um, that rigorous HSC year and then university. Um, and uh, apart from a short stint in Sydney when at university, when I moved out of that house, I actually moved in with Daniel. So, um, yeah, it's um, that, that was I, – I, I think my teenage bedroom was, was most definitely my creative outlet and um, – yeah, there was. It was just full of color and texture and words. Really, I'm always fascinated by people who their home is still the home that was from their childhood. Because mm. I've moved a lot, my mum has moved a lot, and so I I did the longest I've ever lived in one house was my early childhood house. But other than that, I've probably moved on average every two years and my kind of mum has probably moved every two or three years. So I've never had that strong connection to one single place. And the mm. fact that you can actually go back there, that I don't know, that would blow my mind to sort of be able yeah, to step back with into my children. That. Yeah. 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 And and Daniel, my partner, had a very I mean, he went to something like thirteen different schools growing up. So yeah. he moved every year. Um with a single mum, so he, his experience is very different. And it, it's interesting because, you know, I, I had a very um, – everything was very secure in my childhood um, and I think that that has made me a little resistant to change and I'll talk about that a bit later. Mm. Um, but I don't think that that's been such a good thing. Oh, so, interesting. Um, yeah. yeah. Mm. And did you get glimpses of – 
your interests during those teenage years in terms of what you wanted to be when you grew up? Like, did you have a strong sense of, you know, you really wanted to sort of follow a particular path with your career? Yeah, I was so focused in high school, like in that I knew I wanted to do journalism at UTS when I graduated and I knew that I needed a mark in the high 90s to get into that degree. Um, And so, I just like I studied I would come home from school and I'd do five hours every afternoon and then every afternoon it was every weekend it was like eight hours a day. It was bordering on, you know, this. I was just, I just had tunnel vision and I knew what my goal was and I got there. So, it paid off. Wow, well done. Yeah. Um, And I, I have such fond memories of like Tim Winton's Cloud Street because we studied that um, in, in English and, I've still got that copy of the book and there are so many notes in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I just, yeah, it's, um, I really put so much effort in, but it was also around that time in retrospect that I recognized that I started suffering from anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was actually thinking about, you know, my childhood when you, you know, started talking to me about this podcast interview and and yeah I think I was definitely a perfectionist and I think um yeah that and looking back I can see little points where my anxiety might have been triggered but it was in that last year of high school that it really um it didn't overwhelm me at all but there was just little signs of it and then the exhaustion of after all those exams had been done the exhaustion kind of set in and and I went off to uni very young so I was only um, 17 when I went off to uni um, and I moved to Sydney and I think that was kind of the start of quite a bit of intense anxiety. Um, I, actually one of the last photography shoots I did on the Central Coast before we left on our trip which I'll talk about later was at your house in oh, your beautiful okay. space with a naturopath and she said to me that she can cure a certain amount of anxiety in her patients, but if they live in Sydney, they're just going to have to learn to adapt to that wow. anxious environment. And um, and that was that was me. I, I moved right into Ultimo, which is the very heart of um, Sydney City, um, walking distance to UTS, and um, I'd never left home before. And yeah, it it really did throw me in the deep end. And um, yeah, about six months later, I made the decision to move back to the coast and then just commute to uni um, because I, I feel like I'd, I was never diagnosed with, with anything, but I just um, I could not settle in my body. And, um, and I think that, yeah, it did really affect me. So, Is that what you realised in retrospect or is yes, that something definitely. that, yeah, yeah. In retrospect, yeah, and- in retrospect, I can set, I can see that I was exhausted, um, and I was also very anxious, but not able to articulate that or um, or pinpoint it. I just kept going with my days, but living with this very high level of nervous energy, um, and that stayed with me until just before my twenty first birthday, when my mum encouraged me to go to yoga. Oh, okay. um, yeah, are you happy for me to talk yeah. about that? Well, well, yeah. I just, well, I just want to ask you one other thing, though, about this mm. studying and getting in, because um, I remember that 
you know, obviously I still vividly remember everything to do with the HSC and, and, mm. you know, the work that needed to go into it. And that is a huge amount of tenacity on your part to really mm. focus for that kind of period of time. Do you think you've yeah. always been like that? Or was that something that you just kind of managed to channel within, um, I think I've time? always been yeah, I think I've always been very focused and if I've got a if I've got a goal in mind, I will just do everything in my power to realize that goal. Um in saying that I feel like motherhood has really um shifted that, but I feel like I'm my youngest is almost 3 now and I feel like I'm coming out of that motherhood space which is a very mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually such a different space to be in and I've been in it for you know close to 13 or over 13 years now um and I I feel like it definitely affects my ability to um to work productively of course it does um there's just been a, a tearing of like uh, between motherhood and creativity and I spoke about that on Instagram the other night and reference to a book called The Divided Heart which is a beautiful collection of stories from Australian creatives about that, um, just that intense tug of war between mothering and holding space for your children and that deep desire to want to create and to honour your sense of self in your creating. And, um, yeah, I feel like I'm just, I, I mean, of course, I've got, I've got decades of mothering ahead of me, but I feel like I'm coming out of that baby making, growing, feeding zone where I think your your head is in a very different space, your body's in a very different space, and I feel like I'm stepping into a more so, onto a more solid ground, and therefore am able to, you know, create goals and take steps towards them. Yeah. So, but yeah. Um, I am quite determined when, and stubborn when it comes to <laughs> to what I want. So. <laughs> but yeah. I, I just want to touch on that because otherwise, I know I'll probably forget. And and I, you know, we will talk about some of these things um, in a little while. But this idea of a desire to pursue your creativity, I think mm. it's there's. I think if you're a creative and you're also a mother, there's obviously mm. you want to be a good mother and there might be also a requirement to provide financially in some way. Mm. And because um, I know that your um, partner, Daniel, is studying. So I, I wanted to touch mm. on that about your role then within that. But then mm. also there's this idea of actually wanting to create, which is not necessarily mm -hmm. related to wanting to to make money. I mean, even for me, like this podcast, it's, you know, I'm not, I don't have sponsors or anything like that. It's, it's really wanting to kind of go on this journey and learn about the mm. process. And I love engaging with people and and it's this desire within me to do that but yeah I, I can I, I get that sense from you a lot like with your photography and the other things it's not just about you know you want to make money but you've kind of got this desire within you to create mm -hmm. something would you say yeah, that's it, true um definitely and like if I haven't if I haven't picked up the camera for a while and then we go out for a walk and I take an image that I'm really proud of. It's like it fills a space within me, you know, or a yearning, um, which is a, yeah, it's just satisfying that creative um, void, I suppose. And I think it's really important to 
to recognize that. But I also believe that as a creative, and I've I will touch on this later when we talk about our our, jour- our journey that we've taken in the past two years. But um, as a creative, I don't think that the income or the recognition or whatever it or the energy that comes back to you after you've put it out, that doesn't always happen immediately. That could happen five years down the track or 10 years down the track, as has been my experience in the last two years. Um, so I think as a creative, it's really important to recognize that the the result and the, the yeah, that the energy and and or the income that comes back to you isn't immediate. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so... Let's go back a bit then. So you mm. you did your um, university degree um, mm. in communications, and yeah. um, and then yeah, how did you then? What was your next step then after so that? So I I had planned. To, I was working freelance for some magazines, and um, I actually wrote a book on bridal fashion because I was working for Hardy Grant Publishers in their for their bridal magazines as a freelance writer. Um, and then I re- wrote a book for them on Australian bridal fashion um, and I literally wrote it in my teenage bedroom <laughs> um, and I flew to Melbourne and drove to Sydney and interviewed Australia's best bridal designers really, which was um, was really interesting because I, my, I'd grown up with an auntie that was a wedding dressmaker and um, had always spent a lot of time flicking through her bridal magazines um, and and now I got to step into these ateliers and and you know fawn over this amazing silk and lace and and talk to designers about their process so that was that was quite an interesting step um, into the magazine world um, but yeah so I'd just come out of an incredibly um, challenging um, relationship it had been a very long on and off relationship and my mom said my mom and dad have been going to yoga and they said look you should why don't you just go to yoga and I was quite I'm always quite resistant to new things that's a pattern that I've um picked up on over the years and so I finally went and I was this tiny tiny frame and I was just, yeah, I was tiny and literally just this ball of nervous energy and I had been for years but I hadn't recognised it. And I well, I met Marty, the yoga teacher, and um, she ushered me into the studio and she said, just sit down on the mat. And, um, and there was about, I don't know, there's probably about 10 other people in the class and they were all a lot older than me and that was fine. And so she, I just, you know, sat cross-legged, I didn't, really know what was going to happen and and she sat down and started the class and she said I just want you to feel your breath and I just the tears just started and I still get emotional thinking about it because it was in that moment that that I actually felt my body and it had been the first time in I don't know how long that I'd actually come into my body and just was aware of it and it was it was one of those life-changing moments really because I, yeah, it was it was quite confronting and relieving all at once. Um, and so I started going more and more to, um, to these yoga classes and I just 
I feel like I found my place a bit. Like I just, I loved it. And, you know, I've, I'm flexible anyway. So it was kind of a, um, I'd never been good at any sports or anything like that. And I'd find, I'd found my physical release. I was like, oh, this is, I love this. And I, it doesn't require me to dance or have rhythm, but I can just follow <laughs> my breath. And, um, yeah, it was amazing. And shortly after I started going, I said to Marty, look, how do I become a yoga teacher? Because yoga teaching and freelance writing seem to be such an amazing career to have. I was like, well, I could just continue freelance writing and um, and do yoga teaching on the side. And she said, well, you do an apprenticeship with me and you study at the ashram. So I enrolled in um, yogic studies at the ashram and oh, it was, again, that was another um, really positive and affirming experience that I was kind of on on the right path and I suppose it was my first introduction to the concept of simplicity um, the ashram environment um, so it, it's very the simplicity there is very austere um, everything that is there has a purpose and a function um, and it's basically it basically says that the notion of physical space means that you can have mental space. Um, and you'll notice that all yoga studios have that. You know, there's not a lot of – there's no clutter. Um, but at an ashram, it's kind of even more uh, disciplined, I suppose, because it is a place for people to come and to, um, you know, live – with less distractions so that they can focus on their mental um, their mental health, their, their body, their breath, um, and ultimately their spirit. So it's – and, you know, it, it's also in one with nature. So it, they, they very much work um, with the moon cycles and the seasons and it's acknowledging that and um, – yeah, their days have a certain, um, or not a certain, but a very definite ebb and flow to them. And there were so many lessons that I learnt in that space um, that I've carried with me, and often sometimes forgotten about. But I've always come back to them. Um, so, can I ask, yeah, how, that, can I ask how old you were at this stage, roughly? I was twenty-one. So, did you? kind of get any resistance from friends or anything like that oh, about look, I think I think I remember ringing my, yeah uh, not really I think I remember ringing my mum and saying oh it's just amazing here and I think she was worried I was gonna run off and into a cult or something because you know the ashram is full of swamis which are spiritual um spiritual teachers and there's three levels of Swami. So a student wears white um, and then the next level up is yellow and then the next level up is orange. And so there's a lot of orange, like completely dressed in orange clad people with shaved heads walking, you know, you know, gracefully around this space and, um, yeah, but they're all human. (laughs) You know, there was nothing to fear there. Um, But, yeah, it was a – it was a really – I mean, I was the youngest by far in that course and there was, you know, whenever people go to an ashram, they kind of always unpack a lot of shit basically, yeah. um, emotional and physical and, um, it, you know, it is a space to cleanse in but also to um, 
yeah, just remove, I suppose, the clutter and the distraction of life just to um, to kind of travel further down a spiritual path. And But I was there to learn how to teach yoga and that's, um, yeah, that that's that's what I got out of it but I also got that that how powerful um that is how powerful a space created with intention and function and simplicity can be and so, and so what was the next chapter then once you had learnt how to become a yoga teacher as such yeah what was the so next started, chapter for you yeah I started teaching yoga and Marty was still my um my main teacher and then she said to me oh I think you should meet my son and um she mentioned it a few times and she was usually quite a subtle person and her her suggestions to meet her son were not subtle at all um (laughs) but um I eventually did meet Daniel and I didn't realize um, that Daniel you're Daniel Wow. My Daniel. <laughs> yeah. And four <laughs> months later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Five, <laughs> mo- or five months later we were pregnant with um, <gasps> Wow. Jay. So that was quite yeah. at a young age then. Yes, yeah, so I was pregnant at 22. Um, and that, uh, yeah, it was, it was a huge shock. Like we didn't even own a toaster and we just moved into this little beach shack in Forrester's Beach which was beautiful, but we just, we had nothing. Like we had some, but in, we had nothing, but in a sense we had everything we needed. Um, and we went along with that. And I think it was, it was incredibly challenging for me because it was at a time in my life where all my friends were moving to Sydney to further careers and, um, and it kind of did affect the rest you know, my social life for the next 10 years because I was so young and I hardly knew every other mother I knew was in their late 30s, early 40s. So that was challenging. But, um, yeah, I we had Che and then I went back to teaching. I was teaching yoga a lot um, for the next seven years after that and I specialised in prenatal yoga and birth preparation workshops. So, um yeah, so it was a huge part of my life for a, a really long time. And so did your then writing take a back seat in the journalism side of your life? It did, um, but then when Che was about three, I got an amazing gig with a publishing company in Sydney that did um, bridal magazines. And you might think, oh, my gosh, she really loves weddings. And it was bridal magazines sold and they – paid, they were expensive and there was a lot of high-paying advertisers and I really kind of, it was a great gig because I got to work from home two days a week um, and, you know, for a freelance writer, that's just, well, it, I suppose it's normal but, I, you know, it was a regular two days a week paid and it was um, it was a rare gem <laughs> um, at that stage anyway. So, so I did that for oh, probably about six years, that, that job. Um, and then ultimately I got out just before the magazine industry really started to kind of um, flail under the social media um, power, I suppose. Um, but I also started blogging as a young mum and that's kind of probably been more of a powerful um, or it's really steered me to where I am now professionally, I think. And I started it with no intention at all for it to be a professional 
outlet. But um, but yeah, that's been quite formative. I just want to ask you because I studied journalism, and mm. for, from my perspective. And this is why I think it's so fascinating, all of our different journeys that we go on and the paths that we take. But mm. I kind of come from a family where it was very much about getting a job, a stable nine to five job, mm. being an employee. And I'm really interested that you had either the bravery or whatever it was to then go and do freelance work as your first sort of round mm. of jobs. Why, why was that? <laughs> Um, I think because it was there and I, I honestly don't believe that I had the tenacity to face the newspaper or magazine world. I knew I didn't have that, that courage or that, all the, the energy for it. Um, because I knew what it was like, like I'd been the, I'd been privy to how intense that environment could be or was and I'd done a bit of work experience at Marie Claire magazine and to be honest to be completely frank with you I, I don't think I was stylish enough <laughs> really <laughs> to fit into that space and uh, yeah I that's that's the truth of it like they loved what I did there and but I just don't think I was cool enough <laughs> um but did you sorry Oh, well, I was going to say, so the freelance work came about because an ex-student of UTS that knew one of my lecturers said, do you have anyone that would be interested in doing this work with Hardy Grant? And that's how I fell into that. So I only really was out of uni for a few months when I started um, yoga and then went down that path. And it was never my intention just to to freelance all the time, but it, it was a job that was there and so I, I took it. So, and I was still working. I've always worked in bookstores since I was 14. So, I was still working in a bookstore at that time. So, but that's basically how my career has gone. Like, I've always, you know, I've always done a variety of things. It's never just been one job. Yeah. Because obviously, mm. when you work as a freelancer, you never mm. really know where the next paycheck's going to come from, especially when you're in those early years and it mm. can seem so erratic and yeah. you're kind of competing against people with a lot more experience than you. Mm. So, yeah, I just, I think that's a really interesting kind of path that you've gone down to just do that from an, a very early age in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, I suppose looking back, it was an interesting path, but it also, dare I say it was a comfortable path because it meant I didn't have to commute to Sydney, which physically I found very exhausting. And now that I know more about myself and my body type, um, I understand why that was exhausting for me. Yeah. Um, so I learned about Ayurvedic body types in um, at the ashram and I'm a typical Vata, so I get, yeah, um, I, I do get quite exhausted in busy, intense environments and I can't create when I'm exhausted. So yeah. it's in so retrospect, that all makes yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. really interesting because for me it would be more confronting at that age to be trying to get 
freelance mm. work than to go mm. kind of go for the security of just having like a kind of nine to five job. So yeah, yeah, it's just it's it's so fascinating how our different personalities in that way, like everyone's different personalities, kind of have, yeah. have to respond to to what's innate in you. So okay, yeah, so let's I go. Also, I also didn't have to pay. Like I was still living at mum and dad, so my outgoings were very slim. I, I drove a two hundred. Dollar 1978 Triumph car that, yes, it cost a bit in petrol, but it was $200 when I bought it. Um, and I suppose I had, I had the privilege of choice and I didn't, yeah, I didn't have a lot of outgoings. So, yeah. So, where did photography come into all of this then? So, I started blogging in 2008 and that blog is still going. Um, and I'd never really heard of a blog before, but I literally just stumbled upon one when Che was about six months old and I was kind of feeling very lost as a new mum and I really did find my place in that blogging world. And I know everyone talks about Instagram now, but it was oh, the Australian blogging world back then was very tight-knit. It was so supportive and... It was the most beautiful creative community um, and I still am connected with so many readers and um, other bloggers that I met back in that space um, and it wasn't probably until 2011 that the whole idea of sponsor sponsorship started to come into blogs and that's when it got really controversial because Readers were so offended back then by the fact that people had started monetizing their blog. Like, like I can't express, like, the comments that some people received on sponsored posts were like, how dare you? Like, we've been reading you and we deserve just to be able to keep reading non-monetized content. And it was a very, very interesting um space to be in as a creator um, but also as someone that didn't want to I really was quite intent on not selling out just for the money and so I started working with small niche brands and other creatives um, and that was an amazing income for for quite a few years and obviously I, taking photos was just as important in blog world as as writing was so I started taking photos on this little Panasonic GF1 camera, which I've still got, which is a, an amazing little camera. Um, and I think it was in 2011, yeah, I was, I was heavily pregnant with my daughter, Poet, and I met Tim Coulson who um, has since become a really good friend and he, he kind of was a self-taught photographer that really, really kind of got very busy from um, – going from not taking photos at all, at all to being quite a highly respected wedding and family photographer and he started doing workshops. So, I learned how to shoot manual um, on my camera and literally just went went from there. And so, I've done a lot of editorial work over the years um, but in, in the most recent years, I've, I've done a lot of family photography shoots and, um, and I, yeah, I just – I love looking back at the progression of my work um, and and seeing how I've created my own my own style from that. But um, yeah, so the journalist writer 
is still a writer but very much probably earns more from her photography now. So yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting, um, interesting journey. Well, you touched on something there that I did want to ask you about, which is this mm. idea of your visual style, but also mm. it comes down to your writing style. And mm. I feel like you always have a very consistent, considered style, both with your photography and with your writing. Did it take you long to kind of get that or has it always been very natural or do you ever question what you write or how you shoot? What's, what's your experience yeah. of that? I think considered is a very good word because I I won't just flippantly write something and ever put it up. It, it is considered and and I take the time to really craft it, I suppose. But I also, I want, and I think this is where those years and years and years of blogging like three times, four times a week really served me well is that I know how to write and connect with people in a in a very conversational way and that's that's always been my intention as a blogger because it is I suppose a more personal way of communicating um, and I think it's served served me well on Instagram but it's also what is comes most naturally to me um, so I know I'm speaking to you and articulating myself well with you here now but if I'm having a, a conversation sometimes I I, I, I honestly believe I'm a better writer than I am a conversationalist um, and I think I intend for my writing to feel like a friendly personal conversation um, whereas my photography is very much, I suppose if I was to kind of figure out whether the subject matter or composition or light was more important to me that I always shoot um, with light being the priority. So light's kind of my inspiration, I suppose, and, and really playing with, with shadows and light. And, um, and, I've, and I have worked out over the years and I think it can only, I don't think you can really teach anyone this, but is to, to, look, at, to look at a room and see the light and know where I'm going to place the subject or to move myself around the subject um, without them being aware and and photographing from a different angle in order to capture that light. So, um, yeah, that might not make complete sense, but no, I hope I it does. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and so where's yoga now in all of this? Um, it's interesting because I kind of left it when I was pregnant with my third. So I've got four children um, and I was halfway through my pregnancy with my little boy Percy, um, I just felt like I couldn't. Prenatal yoga is very, um, very draining for a t any yoga is quite draining for a teacher because you're holding a space and you're also taking in all the students' energy. Um, and so with, a, with prenatal yoga, women would walk into the space with trauma and grief and fear and also elation and the highest hopes for their birth that was coming up. And um, and I don't believe that I just taught prenatal yoga. I, I really um, I really nurtured and and kind of guided women through that journey, that emotional journey of um, of moving into motherhood, whether it was their first, second or fifth time. Um, and yeah, I just felt at that stage that I couldn't give women 
the energy that they deserved. So I stepped away from it and, um, yeah, it's – I come back to it regularly. I've, you know, the last few months I've had a, quite a regular practice every morning but it's um, – yeah, I, f- I feel like it's planted seeds in me that aren't so much the physical yoga but more the mental – um, spiritual, the breath awareness, the awareness of body um, regardless of where we are. And I think um, the concepts of non-attachment and of karma yoga, which is karma yoga is basically um, the effort and energy we, we put in. So at the ashram, Every half an hour, every morning, we would do karma yoga at some space and it was, right, we're just going to spend half an hour cleaning this space and once that half an hour is up, we walk away. And so, for the, for the perfectionist in me, it was, um, it was quite a revelation because I was like, I can work on this um, for a certain amount of time and not spend all my energy on it. And it, it doesn't have to be perfect and it doesn't have to be complete, but I've got a lot of it done. So, just interest, introducing those ideas of, we're, we're, we're setting aside this time to clean the bathroom and we're going to do half an hour. And if it's not finished in that time, that's okay. And so we're just going to walk away and move on to the next part of our day. And for motherhood, I feel like that's... For everything. That's, for everything. <laughs> what, a, yeah, yeah. what an amazing yeah. lesson. And, and just yeah. not having that attachment to that end goal, which for, yeah, for a perfectionist like me is really challenging but also incredibly beneficial um yeah just to you know just put that effort in and and not just to do the job but to just be mindful of what you're doing while you're doing the job yeah. um which is i'm really flighty and um i've always been a dreamer and so to to bring all my like if i'm cleaning you would probably be very frustrated watching me clean a house because I literally like pick something up and put it down and then I'll walk over to this place and like wipe the bench and da- it drives Daniel like he's like what are you doing whereas he just focuses on one thing so as you can tell those lessons don't we have to come back to them a lot but yeah um so the the yoga and I, I suppose yoga is so much more than lycra stockings and downward dog in a yoga studio and the ashram um really did plant those those seeds of mindful thinking and non-attachment and just general awareness of breath and body and intention with me and that's what stayed with me over the years more than the I definitely don't have an amazingly toned yoga body now after four babies but um yeah it's all that all that other stuff that's really been meaningful to me so Okay, so we have to talk about yeah. <laughs> your trip, your trip. And because I, I've got so many questions about this and um, I guess I just give me or give us all a little bit of an insight into the tipping point to wanting to decide to do this trip because I think it's yeah. something that a lot of people think about. I mean, mm-hmm. we've within our family we've spoken about this, but but to actually sort of make that step and make it happen, yeah. that's that's something else, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. So, I just birthed my fourth child, Marigold, and we were living in a house with in just a rental in Bado Bay on the Central Coast. <clears throat> Daniel was working 
had been working in the film industry for probably the past six years and he was working at Afters, the Australian Film Television Radio School in Sydney. So three to four days a week he would commute down to Sydney and it would take him over two hours each way. So it was a really arduous commute. He'd work for 10 hours. He'd come home. He'd often call me on the freeway saying, you've got to talk to me because I'm falling asleep. Like it just, it wasn't sustainable. Um, Marigold was three months old and she was, her birth was incredibly healing. And um, I, I had a really tough birth the third time. Um, and so her birth was incredibly healing and, um, it just really restored something in me. But it also, as soon as I held her in my arms, I had this incredible, overwhelming sense of completion. So I had two children in school, one child in preschool. We lived in a three-bedroom house that I'm sure had spirits in it because my daughter poet came into me one evening while I was breastfeeding Marigold and she's like, I just saw a boy in a white T-shirt walk through the room. And so here I am doing something I never thought I'd do, which is breastfeeding my baby and like swishing white sage around the house asking spirits to leave. And I was like, oh, this is like a new level of like madness. Um, but I always felt like it was the kind of house that stirred up a lot of shit basically. And I always felt like I was looking over my shoulder and – and I think it was incredibly representative of where I felt in my life personally and in that something's got to change because this, I'm not enjoying this anymore. Like I was just racing kids to and from school. I was yelling at them in the morning to get ready. I'd come home. I'd try to answer emails and, you know, keep my own creative and professional life going while dealing with a mound of washing and a partner that was in Sydney all the hours and we were deep in suburbia and it wasn't inspiring and I mean we had Venetian blinds need I say more <laughs> Natalie you would have been <laughs> it wasn't nice and I just felt I was just I suppose I'd always been fearful of change and I think that comes back to having no change as a child like I just any change just or the thought of not knowing what was coming next and the thought of not having a plan just used to fill me with dread. And there was one really life-changing day. Daniel and I, we had money in the bank for a house deposit. But as you know, the, we were living just north of Sydney and the, the housing market had just gone crazy. So, you know, the houses in our area that we didn't even like were like $800,000. So, we went to see this mortgage broker and he put the figures on the table and we were like, we just cannot justify living like we are to pay for a house that we don't like and missing out on our children's childhood. It just didn't make sense to us. That afternoon or that evening, my son did a school performance based on Alison Lester's book, Are We There Yet? which is the story of her family that travels around Australia in their camper van. And my auntie had given Che that book years and years and years ago. So it had been on our shelf for years. And Daniel said, we should do a caravan trip. And I, it's like a voice that wasn't even my own came out and said, yeah, let's do it. And if you had asked me two years before to holiday in a caravan, I would have said, no way. And we'd never camped. We'd never 
we'd never gone down. I've never, I don't think I'd even stepped in a caravan before, but I just knew that my fear of complacency was bigger than my fear of change. And that if I got to the end of my life and I hadn't done a road trip in Australia with my children, it's one thing I would have regretted. So we said yes, and we were like, well, what next? And we spent the next eight months literally lining up all our ducks in a row. So we we bought a caravan, we sold a car, we bought a car to tow the caravan, we sold another car. We, it, As much as I'd lived a simplistic life and was mindful of all the stuff that came into our house, we had four children and all the stuff that goes with that. And Daniel is a bit of a hoarder as well, but I, I kind of have come to appreciate his hoarding ways because everything that he'd hoarded we we used on the renovation of this caravan. And it didn't need a full renovation. It just needed a few things fixed up. And we weren't concerned about making it really beautiful and on trend. It just needed to be practical and it needed to work for us. Um, so we spent the next eight months doing that. And I just had fear bubbling up the whole time, like what on earth are we doing? And, oh, my God, this is madness. And But oh my gosh, we're doing it and we're this, we're this far in now, like I'm just going to keep going. And, and, and I started to recognize, you know, what was ahead for us and we intended to leave in the April um, but in the May, um, my auntie who I've mentioned a few times in my chat with you, she, um, at the end of her 10-year cancer journey was coming to an end and um, we – had the privilege of being with her in those final weeks and there was one afternoon where um, I said to Daniel, oh, we've just got to go around and see her and he said, yeah, we do and we just bundled up the kids and put them in the car and we drove over to her house and um, and she was, yeah, she was, um, she was, she was dying and um, I don't know if you've ever been with someone that is passing but it, it's such a it's such a sacred space um and yeah it was it was a real honor to be there and i think it really inspired it inspired us to keep going with our trip because she always wanted to do the trip and she couldn't so um we've actually we actually took her ashes some of her ashes with us and we've we've scattered them at all our oh, favorite places that's so yeah beautiful. on on the journey so um yeah she yeah it was a real again quite a life-changing um a real life-changing experience and 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 it, and it kind of didn't make me I, I'm no longer scared of of death I don't think because I saw how yeah I think when approached the right way yeah it's hard to describe but there is a very powerful energy in a room when someone is is passing and it's that in between like when you're about to birth <laughs> and I know I talk about birth a lot but I think it's so um it's it's really inspired so many of my life choices but you know that space between when a woman is is laboring and then about to birth a baby is the energy in the room is so sharp but also soft like it's you know powerful and it was the same with 
with when Auntie Jenny was dying and, and, and she passed, we left that afternoon and said her goodbyes and she passed a few hours later. Um, so, yeah, so we, we kind of, um, we had her funeral and then we had pulled the kids out of school and we spent the, the, the next month just clearing out our house, which is not an experience that was, it was really hard. We'd, we'd sold like 80% of our belongings um, in the months leading up, but but at the end, you know when you've always got those boxes that you don't <laughs> look through yeah. and then you just stuff them in the corner and you look at them when you're at the next house? We couldn't do that because we had a caravan and everything, some things were used every day like step stools. We had like three in the house. We couldn't take them in the caravan. So I was so like my mum came into the rental house at 9am one morning. We had to be out at 4pm that afternoon and the lounge, she just went, oh, Jody!" Like it was and it was like transition in labour. Like I was rocking on the floor and I had this crawling baby and I was trying to do home distance education with the two school kids because they'd started that already and then I had a preschooler asking me questions and the kids still needed to be fed and <laughs> it was just like Daniel was still doing the ca- work on the caravan and it was really, it was, it's not a week that I would wish upon anyone. <laughs> it was intense and then we got rid of all our furniture and we actually had to sleep in the driveway in the caravan for the last three nights because we didn't have any beds inside and it was like, oh. So it was totally, yeah, our council garbage collection pickup was so big and I felt so guilty for it because I was like, oh, my gosh, that's such a waste. But then Daniel went back the next day and the local hoarders had literally come around and and stripped it bare so I at least you know my trash definitely became a lot of people's treasure um but yeah when we actually got in the caravan so it was like six o'clock and our house was actually being knocked down by the owners they were going to rebuild and so we didn't have to clean it thank goodness um and we got in there we got in the car and we literally, it was the first time we'd all been in the car with towing the caravan. And it's a 24-foot caravan, so it is quite big. And we literally just stuffed the last of what we need, like shoes and like the basket of shoes was stuffed in there. And we drove 40 minutes to the other side of the coast. And we reversed, Daniel reversed the caravan in the dark, which reversing a caravan is difficult. Um, but I mean, we do it quite easily now, but, um, yeah, I, I remember and Marigold screamed the entire journey. And so I was standing outside in this caravan park, breastfeeding her in the dark. <laughs> I'm on the phone to Daniel and I'm like, right, go left. And he's like, but I am going left. But when you steer left, the caravan actually goes right. Oh, yes. <laughs> and then we got inside and two of the kids are already asleep. So we put them in their beds and then we somehow found a pot and a tin of baked beans and our eldest son and Daniel and I just sat on the bed and ate this tin of baked beans and that was our first night in the van and that was almost two years ago. So it's a journey that, um, yeah, has taken us around a lot of Australia but, but, you know, there's a lot of Australia we still haven't seen and it has been... um, it's been full of challenges and um, and very affirming, life-affirming moments as well. So, Okay, before um, we get onto that, 
And I mean, I feel like we could probably talk for three hours. So I've got to be conscious of not yeah. asking too many yeah. questions. Yeah. However, um, I it's funny that you know, to talk about this right now, because I've actually been going through those boxes, you know, those boxes you just mentioned yeah. about the ones that yeah. just kind of keep getting pushed along from house to house. Yeah. And yeah. and while in many ways I I do cull a lot and like in our mm. general living space, we don't have much clutter with those kind of things. Mm. The things that I actually find the hardest to let go of. So we've still got like three decent sized boxes of photos from when Daniel and I were tr- living in um, London and traveling around yeah. Europe and we did loads and loads of trips. And these are all photos that I have intended to get into albums and have never got mm. into albums. And it's like my one day I'm going to get these photos into albums. I've got journals, like a whole massive box full of journals from when I was much, much younger to even like up until a couple of years ago, even like my travel journals. And those are the things that I Mm -hmm. kind of don't want to let go of. But I, you know, I kind of go through this thing about I've got another box full of kids art and it's just in a box, you know, and it's those things that I struggle with. And what what were the things for you that you were really struggling with? And did you have something that you would say to yourself like a not a mantra, but, you know, like you, a word of encouragement to yourself or, or how did you deal with those things for you? Yeah, I suppose the sentimental items. Yeah. Well, we chose not to pay for storage because storage is quite expensive. So we did sell a lot of stuff and then like I suppose there's – We've got a half a one of those tiny little backyard sheds at Daniel's mum's with stuff in it and we've got a cupboard at my mum's house and I just suppose if I just listen, so I listened to my heart more than my head when it came to that stuff and now that we're isolating in a house in Tasmania where we are at the moment, I do miss that stuff. I kind of miss looking through my box of magazine tear pages that I've torn out as a teenager and I've kept for this many years. And I've got those um, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's actually one that I've got and I'll send you the photo because I've got a photo of it. There's one that I've got which is of a girl standing in the doorway of a caravan and I've had it since. I think it might have been in a really early edition of Real Living magazine and I, yeah, I've always had it on my wall and it was even in our first family home and there's a vintage map of Australia on a tea towel hanging over the door and it's like been this, I'm like, is, was that an accidental manif- manifestation for this <laughs> this trip we're on? So those things do have meaning. Like, you know, that magazine tear page that I had stuck to my teenage bedroom wall is now the lifestyle I've been living for two years the girl in the caravan. So I think that stuff does have meaning and I think that's the stuff that I miss at the moment because I can't touch it and be close to it. So um, I'm glad I just listened to my heart and it wasn't a hard decision. Like sometimes it was a hard decision like do I keep this child's stuffed toy that has got a, you know, but you've got four kids and like how many stuffed toys do they need and um, I suppose it's been interesting also to listen to the children and what they remember and what they miss about, um, you know, what we've packed away. But generally we just packed away very useful items that we knew that when we had a house again we would need. I packed away um, 
like beautiful patchwork quilts that I had made for the children, books, a lot of books that I found such comfort in books. And so there's lots of books. Um, there's our beautiful wooden timber table that I salvaged from one of the first houses that was ever built in Erin Heights. And um, when the woman passed away from that house, her daughter was clearing it out and she invited us in and there was this beautiful wooden table there with the scald from the teapot was still on the table and she said, oh, you can have that table. So we just carried it home with us and and that house has since been knocked down and replaced by a Masterton home, which just like kills me whenever I used to. But stuff like that is, you know, my timber table um, and they're the things I miss now. So I think when it comes to those items, you just have to listen to your heart and not so much your head. And I think I've really shifted my perspective on simplicity and minimalism and function. Um, And I think, I mean, my blog is practicing simplicity. It's something I've intended to do for a long time. But I think the simplicity aesthetic, which is what a lot of people are caught up in, is very different to the simplicity function, which is if something is useful and you use it, but it might not be timber, then you should keep it because it's it's useful. It's functional. And I think Daniel is a prime example of that. Like he's he's kept these things in these boxes of like cables and tape in the garage for years and years and years. And I was always like, just get rid of that. It's just cluttering. And then we used it all in our caravan renovation, you know, and he kept it because it was useful. And I think that, um, yeah, that simplicity of an of a very practical um, <laughs> sense. So, yeah, it's the whole the whole caravan journey. I suppose for me it's provided um, a very strict discipline when it came to what we were carrying with us. And it's a very empowering feeling to step outside your caravan and look at it and know that everything you need is in that space in front of you and that, the six of us could live very comfortably in this 24-foot space, which is about seven metres, seven metres by probably, I'm just looking, I'm actually sitting in here now, um, seven metres by about two and a half metres. Um, we've got everything we need. And I really loved having those boundaries because living in a three-bedroom house, I felt like we were accumulating stuff without me even noticing sometimes and I found that really overwhelming. And yet living in a caravan, um, yeah, has been a really great lesson in that we don't need a lot to live well and that the six people can have everything they need in this small space. And so what have been some of the other big lessons that you have learnt from your trip? Yeah. Um, For me, like I still had a lot of fear going into this trip um, and some of my biggest fears were um, breaking down on the side of the road and then that happened all the time because we got three months into our trip, we realised that our Land Cruiser needed an entirely new engine at a cost of between twenty dollars and $30,000. And that's not the kind of surprise that you want on a trip like this when you've just spent all your savings on getting the caravan and the car. We had 20 grand left in the bank that we were using as like a buffer and we, so we just kept going because it was a, it was a, it was an issue that would allow us to drive a certain way, but 
there was always that we just carried this stress of like, well, when are we going to break down? <laughs> and we got to Tasmania and we didn't realize Tasmania had so many incredibly big hills and it was quite a, um, I sound like a mechanic when I talk about it, but it was a dusted <laughs> engine. So basically it affects the pistons and affects the turbos. So this Land Cruiser is trying to pull this three-ton caravan up a hill and then it just stopped and we had to reverse, oh, I'll never forget it, we had to reverse the car and the caravan down a hill in country Tasmania and it was petrifying and now when I think back to it, hilarious. But after that we were like, okay, we need to get this new engine. So we found an amazing mechanic in Melbourne and we spent 10 weeks um, in this really dingy caravan park when it was getting really cold and there was one week where the kids got gastro, which was another one of my fears. And we literally drained our bank account to um, put that new engine in, which was very scary. <laughs> um, but since then, we have, yeah, we've just kept going and... There's a few major lessons that have come out of it for me. Um, within the first two weeks, I felt a profound sense that like 300 of my mental tabs had closed because we didn't have any plans ahead of us. And that was really liberating and empowering. And I felt like, oh my gosh, I don't have to think about school or like lunch boxes or washing uniforms or doing that washing or clearing that cupboard or making sure this is paid. Like it was, it was just so enlightening for me. Um, and also the sense that I didn't have any obligation to be anywhere or to do anything. That was really that was really nice as well. Um, I've been able to, I suppose it comes back to having less distractions. So when you take away all the distraction in your life, you kind of focus more on yourself and you kind of can't skip over all those, you know, not so much faults, but like, mm, you know, I think you get to know yourself a lot better when you live like this and you get to know your family a lot better because you're living very closely and um, and so I've learnt, you know, more about, you know, what feeds me and, and the way I react to situations instead of respond to them a lot of the time. Um, so I work on more responding to, to situations. Um, I've learnt that I'm still anxious and can be quite fearful and so I've really been working at placing more energy into trusting myself in situations. Um, we've met some amazing people along the way and a lot of those people have been blog readers from years and years ago that have opened their homes to us and welcomed them into us into um, their Airbnbs and so we've had like you know, quite a few weeks in beautiful Airbnbs that have been gifted to us as a thanks for all my writing over the years, which is that, you know, delayed gratitude of um, the creative life. Um, the dusty, long, sometimes arduous road to Uluru was probably one of the most memorable parts of our trip. Um, it was hard, but it felt like such an adventure and I encourage anyone to and anyone and everyone to make their way to Uluru and I mean it took us five days or six days from Adelaide to get there and we just took it slow we kind of realized early on that slow traveling was the best way for us um, 
So, yeah, and then we spent like 10 days there and some days we'd just go and sit at the base of Uluru and just just be there and that was the kind of travel that really made sense to us to actually be in a place whether it was Uluru or just a little country town in Victoria and just kind of soak it in um, instead of rushing around ticking things off the list that was never our intention we just kind of wanted to be together and to see a bit of the country and um, it's been a really beautiful way of experiencing it and and also yeah just getting getting to know ourselves on a on a deeper level which hasn't always been nice or um or like or happy but it's um it's we've grown as a result as a family and as individuals and me particularly because i think i was the one that was most fearful of what this would mean and I think it's, and I still get overwhelmed when I think about what our next step is. Like, you know, we had intended to move into a rental in um, in Tasmania. This family were going to Western Australia in their caravan and we wanted to experience a winter in Tasmania to see if we wanted to settle here long term. And, um, of course, their plans fell through because of COVID and we, we opted to isolate pretty early in an Airbnb that we'd actually stayed in for a few days um, the last earlier in the year so we um I chatted to the owner and I said look can we spend a week here and make some plans and we spent a week here and then and then COVID kind of got really serious and we're still here two months on so um it's a beautiful house in northern Tasmania it was actually on Grand Designs years ago so it's um it's it's built um with the light and the the gum trees um as its greatest inspiration and so it's flooded with light and there's trees out of every window and and that's where we are now but as to what comes next I'm not really sure and I yeah as I said I can still get overwhelmed by what do we do now but um I think that it's a very strange time to be making decisions like that so I'm just kind of focusing on the daily stuff and um and writing a lot as a result I think so yeah what what I want to ask you about because um probably because we'll sort of need to start wrapping up soon. Um, yeah. But I've got this one question and I think it applies to it applies to creativity, it applies to Instagram and how you sh- show mm. up there, it applies to so many different areas of our life and, and perhaps also to even your caravan trip and, and how you chose to go about it, is mm. this idea of being really true to yourself and I think we live in a world where there's um, – there's so much, there's so many distractions where mm. we're, we're presented with so many different ways that people live their lives and, you know, tantalizing kind of very filtered versions of people's lives. And it can be so easy, I think, for so many of us to kind of get caught up in how other people are living their lives mm. when really yeah. I always find that whenever I then kind of tap into living my life for me and for my family, that's actually when mm. I feel the most calm, the most centered. And I yes. just wondered about for you, what your experience of that is. Um, do you, because I kind of get the sense that you have a strong sense of your own self and and your journey with that. And has the trip related to that or, you know, and even how you show up on Instagram and what you choose to share mm. there. I kind of feel like this idea of being true to yourself is central to it all. What What are your thoughts on that? 
I agree with you, but I think I can quite easily waver from that and I'm very conscious of that, of staying true to myself and not getting swept up in what we don't have. So I think a, a challenge for Daniel and I has been, and and people have brought it up with us even on our journey, like I can't believe you spent all your money on this caravan and you don't own a house and like what about your future? And that still plays on us quite a bit, but it's also been the best decision we've made because it felt like it was the best decision for us. And if I think back to those early blogging days, like authenticity was always my main motivating factor. And and I bring that to Instagram as well. And Instagram can be so fickle. I know people that just can't be on there because it makes them feel so bad about their lives. Um, and these are intelligent, educated, grounded women. And so I'm very wary of painting an honest picture. Like, And that's the thing. It's finding that balance between a beautiful image that doesn't always depict a perfect life. Um, I'm very conscious of that. I'm not a real selfie person. Like I'd just rather take a beautiful picture of a misty field and put it up with some words about motherhood um, and and yeah, I don't. I've never gone about it like, oh, is this gonna is this gonna like get me heaps of followers? Like, I just want to resonate with the followers that I do have, and they've been following me for, you know, since two thousand and eight. It's it's a, it's a long time, and so I'd rather connect with those people that you know know my story um, and continue the story with them um, because that's what ultimately we're all sharing, isn't it? It's a story, and and we're kind of in control of, of what we do share. But, yeah, I, I think I've also walked that path of, and there was one day in particular when Percy, my third, was a baby and the delivery man delivered like eight parcels to my door and they were all for blog or social media promotions. And I remember the feeling I got when I received them and it was just obligation and dread that I had to unpack these parcels and share them with the world and that was when I decided that I, I wasn't going to do this for sharing of products anymore and yes I've, I've continued to work on with brands on an editorial basis um, and I've occasionally promoted a product that is in line with my um, values and my family and something that we use, but I really have stepped away from that um, overt consumerism side of social media and blogging, which yeah, it's a it's a really fine line, but I think we're at we're I think we've all come to a place now where we we know deep in our hearts and our heads that the promoting of blatant consumerism isn't okay anymore and it's actually quite dangerous to our livelihoods. Um, and so how can I move forward and earn money and still be authentic to myself and still put food on the table for my family? Like it's it's a really complex situation but, well, it's working so far and that I'm doing it intentionally and um, has that even answered your question about creativity? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose I never, I never want to put something up that makes someone feel bad about their lives. 
or about, you know, and I realized that, you know, we worked hard to get to have this opportunity to travel and work and I've got the kind of work that allows us to do that. But we've also like, we've only been, you know, we haven't been on an overseas holiday every year. We've always had secondhand cars. Like my phone is like, I think it's like an iPhone 5 and I just own it outright and I like we don't have a lot of outgoings and we buy secondhand and they're kind of choices that we've made to be able to have the opportunity to to live on the road for two years and to experience all that's come with that. But I also don't believe that everything I've experienced has to happen in a caravan on the road. Like you can just make the conscious choice to instead of going to the shops on the weekend, just like go to the ocean or the mountains instead and be a conscious consumer and follow people that aren't just going to sell you stuff all the time but as uh, are kind of going to sell you a lifestyle or sell you knowledge or you know choose who you follow so that it it's an an enjoyable educational inspiring activity instead of one that leaves you feeling drained and jealous because you don't you don't need that and i think um you know actively choosing to follow the the authors and the photographers and the activists and the gardeners and the permaculture specialists um i think it's what's well, it's a choice that's worked for me anyway i've actively chosen to just be really conscious of those things that trigger jealousy or envy or doubt in me and 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 not go there anymore and I think as a creative and well just as a person that's that's something we can all choose to do and I something I think it's something we we should choose to do great okay I'm just gonna ask this one last question so you touched on it a little bit but this idea though of sort of balancing um creativity but also mm. making a living so mm. how how do you juggle that because as I mentioned a little bit earlier on your partner Daniel he's gone back to study hasn't he so are yeah. you essentially the the single or the only breadwinner in the family at the moment I am thankfully at this stage in our lives he does get Oz study um because I had to just cancel 15 photo shoots in Melbourne <laughs> because of coronavirus um I do a bit of content creation for a few brands and podcasts. So um, there's little writing gigs there along the way. Um, I work with brands that need photography for social media. So, I mean, I'm not raking in. (laughs) I'm not raking in a lot of money at all, but we live well and we've got enough to pay rent in the house we're currently living in. to eat really well and um, to buy books occasionally, like we're we're in a privileged position. But um, who knows where where things will be in a few months' time? I think uh, I, like a lot of creatives, are wondering what the world is going to look like for us now. And um, I think it's where having kind of a lot of different skills for me has really served me has served me well um, in that I can, yes, I can write that. Yes, I can take that photo. Um, Yes, I know a bit about social media. Um, And those relationships that I've made over the years um, have also come back. Like someone contacted me this morning that like we were blogging together in 2008 and she 
you know, has a has a job proposal for me. So, you know, I think that is the creative world. It is about connections. It's about doing stuff knowing that it might not pay you this week. Um, and it's also about recognising that it, yeah, Sorry. it's karma. Yeah, exactly. And it's the lifestyle that you choose and, you know, I think Instagram for me is like my, my dream is to own a house. We would love to own a house. That's not going to happen, I don't think, in the immediate future. But, um, yeah, sometimes I, I think, I think you can live very frugally and you can live well. And well, I know that because we do it. Um, and it is about choice and it's about saying like, you know, as I said, I'm not going to have, I'm not going to go out and buy the brand new phone because actually that, that's our food bill for the month, you know, and that, and it's, it's, I'm not deprived in any way. Like I live an incredibly full and privileged life, but um, I think our culture is one that isn't quite, yeah, it, it, it is wrapped up in the, of course we it's the consumer society society we're wrapped up in the in the new and the shiny and the um and the must have mentality and i i think um i think shifting that is one of the one of the best things i've done in the last few years is really because i love beautiful things of course i of course i want of course i have those desires actually i read a beautiful i screen grabbed a beautiful quote this morning from um George Monbiot, the UK um, climate guy, um, and he said, anyone can want things, money, stuff, power. Privileged people can obtain them quite easily. Not wanting is a greater and rarer skill. True achievement in this age is not to fulfil our desires but to control them. Beautiful. That's a mm. lovely, lovely note to, to end this little section. But before you go, so. yep. before you go, I did want to ask you just these are very quick questions. Um, mm-hmm. I had started a blog in, I think it was actually 2007. I really need to get that. In my head. I'm really bad with dates, but anyway, called Daily Imprints. Yeah. And these were the questions that I would ask people. So I just, I think it's such an interesting insight, particularly when it's just whatever kind of comes first to mind. So mm. here, you, here we go. Which five words best describe you? Creative, stubborn, determined, hopeful, anxious. <laughs> What's the best life or career lesson you've learned? Um, I think what I've spoken about a lot is that, you know, that karma exists and that um, – this, the work you put out there won't always come back round to to you maybe until a decade down the track. That idea of delayed gratitude or delayed payment, perhaps. Uh, what's your proudest career achievement? Oh, um, I think it's probably going on this trip because it, I suppose it has been a, a career achievement in a way, but maybe just having the confidence to to turn up and photograph a family in a, in an environment I've never been in before, and to give them photos that they treasure. I think that might be it. Beautiful gift. What's been your best decision? Taking this caravan trip for sure. Who inspires you? I think the kids inspire me. 
the most because they are not afraid to tell me the truth and to pick me up on my wrongdoings. And that can be really confronting, but it's, I don't think there is a greater gift than your children looking at you and saying, actually, mum, what about this? Or actually, mum, I don't think that's, that's the right way to do it. Or actually, mum, I think this way is better. It's, um, yeah, for a perfectionist, it's like quite jolting, but, um, <laughs> it's, yeah, they inspire me every day with their, um, imagination and their sense of freedom. Yeah, they're amazing. What um, are you passionate about? I'm passionate about living well. Um, I'm passionate about, about treading lightly and taking the small steps towards living um, more sustainably as a family um, and also finding that finding my creative flow again after coming out of those early years of motherhood. I think that's what I'm most passionate about at the moment. What dream do you still want to fulfill? I'd love to get a book published, my own book, not one on bridal fashion. <laughs> um, yeah, I think get a book published and own a home that we can really um, make our own. What are you reading at the moment? I'm reading quite a few things. I'm reading Writers and Lovers by Lily King, which is a brilliant novel. Um, I'm reading a few books on simple living. I'm reading some essays by Australian writer Elena Savage, which is um, which is really good. You'll have to provide me the links to all of those, and I'll include yeah, them. Yeah, I actually, the show notes. I, I just. I joined um, just joined the Australian um, book subscription service Well Read, which okay. they put a yeah they've got exquisite literary taste and they just put a new book in the mail every month and send it to you and it's oh it's such a joy I get so so excited about it because it's like someone else has chosen this book for me and it's in my letterbox and um, it's just something I always wanted to do when we were in a permanent house again and we're here for a few months so I joined up and it's um, I'm loving it so. What are you listening to? It could be a podcast or music. What are you listening to at the moment? Um, I'm really loving the Future Steading podcast, oh, um, okay. which is by Jane from Black Barn Farm. Um, and it's basically about, you know, creating a home um, for our future and and creating sustainable practices that will serve us um, well. And I think it's a, incredibly timely for where we're at now. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's an amazing, amazing podcast. I'd learned a lot. And there's a lot about creativity in there as well, being creative with our homes and our gardens and our mindsets. Hmm, I'll have to definitely check that one out. Yeah, you'll love that. Yeah. Yeah. And if you could give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? Um, come into your body, get to know your body and your breath and get grounded. <laughs> That's what I would say. Spent far too many years flitting about in nervous energy, not really feeling my feet on the ground. And um, yeah, and I feel like this caravan trip is, a, is another extension of that. It's definitely grounded me in a way that I didn't have living in a house because you're so much more vulnerable to the elements. You're on the earth 
a lot of the time you're very conscious of the water that you're using because you only have a certain amount. Um, it's been a very kind of back to nature experience for me um, and it's been quite healing in a way to live, um, yeah, so close to and in in the midst of nature. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Jodie. It's been so interesting to hear a little bit more of your story. Um, yeah, it's been really lovely. And I, I mean, I had hoped that we had would be able to do this for real in Tasmania, but that didn't yes. quite happen out how life sometimes does. But hopefully we can meet up another time. And um, that would be lovely. Yeah, yeah. Look forward to chatting to you then. Thanks again. Thanks, Matt. I hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation with Jodie. I will include all the show notes over at nataliewalton.com forward slash podcast. And it would mean so much to me if you could subscribe, rate and review. Please, if you've got any questions, you can send them over to me at hello at nataliewalton.com or send me a DM on Instagram at nataliewalton. Thank you to Jaeger Media for producing this podcast and the people of the Bunjalong Nation where it was created. I'm Natalie Walton and you've been listening to Imprint.